Welcome to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. She's a Canada Research Chair in Global Health Equity and Social Justice with Marginalized Populations and an Associate Professor at the University of Toronto's Factor in Wintosh Faculty of Social Work. Every week, the show features amazing speakers from around the world talking about stigma from research, lived experiences, and activism perspectives. Why should we care about stigma? What can we do about it? Thank you for tuning in. Let's start the show. I am really thrilled, listeners, to be able to introduce a dear colleague and friend, Marvelous Muchenje. Marvelous is the Manager of Community Relations and Communications at Vive Healthcare Canada. She is also a PhD student at the Factor Inventage Faculty of Social Work at the University of Toronto. And even more accolades is that she has spent 19 years involved in the AIDS movement, starting from volunteering, providing programming support to support groups of people living with HIV, and promoting HIV awareness internationally. She is a human rights activist engaged in supporting reforms and interventions that promote and protect human rights of all people, especially women and children living with HIV. In Canada, she has been involved in so many committees since 2006, bringing the voices of African and Caribbean women living with HIV into the front and center. Welcome, Marvelous, how are you doing? I'm good, and you? Not bad, not bad. So I just gave you a really long intro. What is your elevator pitch if I am in an elevator with you? How do you describe what you do? So what I do is just try to see how as communities we live and how we are affected by our environment in the way we think and uh, also in what shapes behaviors. And I also take that information and uh, as you read from my bio to actually inform programs that uh, uh, people provide, but both I'm also involved in different community programs, even though I now work for VIF Healthcare Canada, but I also use that information to advocate for equity and all mm-hmm. other social justice initiatives. And so my elevator pitch, I can just say that is just bringing things uh, to grassroots organize, uh, community members, but also look at key populations, people that are sometimes not reachable within the healthcare system or that do not have access to social programs. Great. And I, I know you're so good at that. I'm going to show up at your house. I wish I could right now <laughs> with my time machine. And I'm going to mm-hmm. say... Marvelous. Take me back to the time and place where you started being an HIV activist and thinking about changing the world for people with HIV. Where do we go in your time machine? and When is it? So prior to joining the HIV sector, I used to work in the private sector. Uh, I'm an accountant by profession. So I actually I used to know work that. for an accountant. 
<laughs> yes, I am. I, I used to work for an organization called CF Tallies, and it was in charge of uh, doing payrolls and uh, different accounting documents for different big organizations in Zimbabwe. And at that time, I got to know one of uh, my workmates who was diagnosed with HIV. And it was a time where that was around uh, 19 around 1982, 82, 86, around that time. And there was not much awareness on HIV. And um, she deteriorated so fast. So I saw her from the time that she, she was a healthy person. And within some months, almost less than three months, she had lost her hair. She had lost her mind. That's the time I got to know about dementia. And that was the time also people were talking about HIV on the radio and uh, the way it was talked about, it was in a way that it was derogatory. It was uh, HIV was for people who were promiscuous. Of course, we didn't hear much about gay people. It was mostly associated with prostitutes. And it was also associated, associated mostly with people who are poor because it's maybe rich people were getting it but we didn't know because maybe they were accessing care or they were in better situations where to get private uh, insurance than public insurance so um, then that three years four years later um i also got diagnosed with hiv i had lived through that process just uh, looking at my friend and it never occurred to me that i was also at one point going to have hiv mm. So when I finally got it, I started stigmatizing myself. Mm. So I started using my own plates, my own things at work. And people was, and as you know me, I'm a very social person. Mm -hmm. I don't have, I don't know how to sift words. So I became a little bit reserved and everyone was noticing it. Uh, that things have changed. And I used to go to the doctor a lot. I wasn't sick that much, but you know, sometimes when you just get a bump here, when you just start feeling a rush there, I was so scared. So I would go, I would take time off a lot to go to the doctor. And then um, one day I couldn't take it. Someone asked me, how come you're going a lot to the doctor? Why is it that these days you don't drink tea with us in the kitchen? And um, I just burst it out. And I just said, you know what, I'm HIV positive. And I walked wow. away. So that's where, when I think of my activism, when I think of what drove me to do my social work degree, it was of that. Because it was the stigma that I realized a lot of people were not aware about HIV and how do you get it. And um, it was also around the taboo around sex. Mm -hmm. And people, and HIV mostly is transmitted through sex. And without talking about sex, I realized that, you know what, then we're not going to address this issue. So mm -hmm. I love talking about sex. I, I love that about you. I, I... <laughs> so, so I just started using that also as a tool to break down the barriers. So in the church, I used to go to the Methodist church. I started talking about um, sex and HIV within church, and I found people who were in denial or people who had families who were actually um, suffering or being discriminated were welcoming seeing this woman who's educated, this woman who doesn't look like she's very sick, and they started opening up their minds to going for HIV testing and also doing HIV work. That's amazing. So you're taking me in the time machine 
1982. And where where are we? In Zimbabwe? Yes, in Zimbabwe. Okay, that's amazing. So my next question, you've already sort of done a a, a flyover of the next question, Mm -hmm. which is, why should we care about stigma? Stigma around HIV, stigma around sex. Why should we care? What's the big deal? I think we need to care about HIV, like you, like you heard me say, because always people think it never happens to me. It happens to someone else. And I always ask them, do you have sex? And then if they say yes, and then I say, do you know the, the status of the person we have, we have sex with? If they say, yes, I know, then I'll ask, do you know the status, who else that other person is going out with? So... If we don't have all, anyone can get HIV. And I also ask people, do you also know that there are children that can be born with HIV? And it's not because they were promiscuous, they were just unfortunate uh, because of mm-hmm. other circumstances. Maybe their parents didn't have access or didn't have information. So I think for us as a community, uh, it has to start from us as individuals to address issues of self-stigma. Then if I remove that, then I'll be able to go and have HIV testing. I'll be able to do access treatment and I'll be able to take my treatment because without that, without addressing it at an individual level, you can't go to the community level. And then we can't address the issues that are at the societal level where you in within uh, maybe the healthcare system. And we can't also address issues that are at the policy level. So it all trickles down and uh, without us addressing how and ways in which homophobia, transphobia and um, Christianity and HIV and um, like in most cases, some people will say, oh, you are weak. There's so many other things that people use to just think this person doesn't have HIV. It's because of A, B, C, D. And all of it, when you look at it, it boils down to the stigma. So stigma for me is an issue that is for everyone. For us as a community to come together and address it, for us to achieve the 90-90-90 or to even think about who's the 10% who's not even addressed and looked at in the cascade, we have to look at the stigma at different levels. That's so powerful. And for the listeners, the 90, do you want to describe for the listeners what is the 90-90-90? So the 1990, we were, it's all about thinking about 90% of people who have education and who have access to information and 90% who are also, and then get tested and also 90% getting uh, linked into care, them being able to get treatment, inform, uh, like uh, support and treatment. Um, and then 90% being also having a viral load that is undetectable, meaning that they cannot transmit HIV to someone else. So trying to address those, um, getting people into care quickly and link in, making them stay in care and also having, and that also brings us back to the stigma issue. Without that, you can't really address the 1999. That's so great. I mean, I'm, I'm not so great, but it's so great that you laid it right out to, for us. Mm-hmm. So with stigma is stopping people from talking to their partners about their own HIV status. It's mm-hmm. stopping people from getting tested. When people mm-hmm. test HIV positive, you describe that it can be self-stigma that causes mm-hmm. people to lose social connections. 
but there could also mm -hmm. be actual stigma from friends and family that also Indeed. cause people. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're saying true. it's in our community and it's in our laws. I want yes. to ask you the next question. Can you walk us through, it can be a fictional person. Can you just walk the listeners through what the stigma look like, for example, for a person who might wake up and go through their day, how might stigma show up in their day? So stigma can be shown in different ways. Sometimes it's obvious. You can see that, oh, this person is being stigmatized. But sometimes it's silent. You can't really, if you're not really aware, you won't be able to pick it up. But for people living with HIV, it's so easy for us to pick it up. From the way you look at me, if I'm talking to you and you get to know that I'm HIV positive, how your just your facial uh, expressions. From the way you, if you're a person that, and your words, what you say, the words that you might say might be uh, discriminating against people living with HIV. But it can be also in the in media. Mm -hmm. So it can be the way that the news are presented. Like um, when we're talking about criminalization of HIV non-disclosure, mm -hmm. you see most of the cases, it's all these intersections of oppressions and stigma itself that come up because it's, it's mostly associated with people who are maybe immigrants mm -hmm. or people who are of certain population who come from endemic countries. So then that stigma again... Then if someone who reads that article who always, always think that it's only people from Africa who brings mm -hmm. HIV. But that stigma can also come from within the workplace. So if I'm going to be asking for more time from work to go and do my blood work or to, it depends how it's presented. Maybe someone might tell you, or oh, you don't need to, you might not have those accommodations. Mm -hmm. Or someone who might have an, a certain diabetes or someone else might be treated cancer might be different, treated differently from you who's, H who's got HIV. Also in the healthcare system, when you go, sometimes you find someone putting two gloves to take your blood. Wow. Um, so, and also the way that they treat you or they converse around you as if you're not there or just uh, blunt out your HIV status in front of, of people, not taking that you also have your privacy. And your information should be also kept private and confidential like everyone else. So that's really so thoughtful, your answer, Marvelous, and showing us that it can be from the way that people look at you different or treat you different mm -hmm. or say things to mm -hmm. workplaces not giving you the accommodations you need to take care of your mm -hmm. health to mm -hmm. healthcare providers. I mean, it's still so disappointing but that people would be double-gloving you know, and I know that but it what happens. Also, what I've also realized, stigma doesn't just affect the individual. It can also affect the whole family or the mm -hmm. whole community. For example, if, a, if someone, if I have a child who goes to a daycare and then someone finds out that I'm HIV positive and they stop their children to socialize with this innocent child. Wow. So sometimes that's, that stigma forces mothers living with HIV or families of people living with HIV not to want to disclose their HIV status to service providers or to sometimes that information is needed. 
because then maybe if it's a child who's HIV positive, they need someone to remind them to take their medication, maybe while they're at school, depending what time they take their medication. But then sometimes they will forfeit that, uh, that opportunity because they don't want their child to be labeled. Mm-hmm. Then if that child is labeled, then they, maybe they don't even understand what is HIV, what is AIDS. Then they start questioning and start also thinking that there's something bad about their family. So that stigma can go also to the whole community. If people, one person or two people from Zimbabwe are labeled as they have HIV, then everyone else would think that people from Zimbabwe come with HIV. So if they're sick with something, maybe sickle cell or something else, and they're presenting as if they've got a, di- a disease that is uh, immune compromising, then automatically sometimes it's just classified as HIV. So you're, you're really helping to highlight the intersection with other forms of stigma, like racism and mm-hmm. xenophobia. Mm-hmm. And in, when you said that, the list uh, about what can happen to children. So we mm-hmm. had a former podcast guest, if the listeners want to listen to Maluba, she also mm-hmm. talks about some of these experiences as a child growing up with HIV and, and, and having to hide her status in order to protect her family from discrimination and also to stop getting discriminated against mm-hmm. by schoolmates and other people, you know, in, in the community and even in service organizations. So mm-hmm. it almost sounds like what you said is sometimes people and families might try to protect themselves and their families from discrimination. And in mm-hmm. turn, they might not get the services and opportunities that are available for, mm-hmm. for people with HIV, for support or for other, other things to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and I've also had, because I've worked with women a lot, uh, I've also had women sometimes not even having partners or deciding to have a, a sexual partner because they already see themselves as if they're dirty. So you see that people have gone into forced <laughs> deprivation of, uh, of, of having sex because they, one, they're scared of the criminalization of HIV status, but also they are also scared that they have to repeat this, this story and uh, to, to the other person who might not even have information on HIV, who might spread it in the re- to the rest of the community. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Sometimes it forces you to just stay in isolation and rather stick to the, to maybe to a few people who know about your status. But sometimes um, those people don't even know their HIV status themselves who are discriminating you or stigmatizing you. Ugh. And you know, it's funny, you bring up criminalization. And I had on another podcast, the listeners can listen to Dr. Alex McClelland. And he talked a lot about the experiences of criminalization and being charged. And mm-hmm. I remember working with a program with young people with HIV and we had a session on criminalization and it was the most popular session. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, how sad is this? We have a whole bunch of amazing young people, vibrant, excited, mm-hmm. full of potential. And mm-hmm. the, almost every single person came to the one on criminalization because they were so concerned about what mm-hmm. does dating look like in the context yeah. of being criminalized and how this criminal law is not matching science. It's not matching reality, right? It's yeah. totally mm-hmm. outdated. It doesn't make sense. And it only hurts people. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes it's just the fear of the unknown that also contributes to stigma mm-hmm. on both sides. Fear on, for people living with HIV, just the fear of how will I be treated when people know that I'm HIV positive? How will I be judged? And, um, uh, we, we, and then on the other side, that are people not going for the HIV testing, feeling like, oh, if I'm seen just walking in that place, everyone would think that I'm, I must be promiscuous. That's why I'm going for an HIV test. And what, what happens if I get it? So a lot of people, especially those days that we were diagnosed, when I was, when I was diagnosed uh, in 1995, I saw a lot of people dying, but it was not dying because of HIV. Mm. It was the stigma and that and stigma and stress that contributed to then reducing your CD4 count, I, I believe. And it's just the mental health of torturing yourself, trying to think, does everyone who look at me see that I'm HIV positive? You just, when you're walking in the street, if everyone just looks at you, maybe how beautiful your face is or how beautiful your makeup, you already think that they're looking at how your skin is looking. You start seeing so many things that other people are not seeing. So that is what killed a lot of people, not because of the, the, the virus itself. So the self-acceptance and also just acceptance from the society has got a very big role in how a person actually is going to survive uh, with HIV going forward. Absolutely. I thank you so much. You're so brilliant. I have one final question before we get to the wild cards, which I never told you about. My last question. (laughs) Well, they need to know the real marvelous. But my last question, I know you probably have, a lot to say about it but there's somebody listening to this podcast right now maybe they're walking their dog maybe they're grabbing a coffee maybe they're driving to the grocery store what can they do what do you want us to do in the world to stop stigma around hiv and around sex more generally what can we do how can we be part of creating a better world so when I when the same time I was I joined the HIV movement in Zimbabwe, we had a saying that said, uh, the, um, in HIV, you and me has got a role to play. So when you look at the word um, AIDS itself, you ask yourself, am I doing something? Mm. So when you see someone stigmatizing someone else, you have a role to confront them and give them the information. But some people, for sure, they don't have the information. They still think that if I drink from a cup that someone else who is HIV positive drank from, I'll get HIV. So it's your role to give them that information. If you work in a healthcare system and you find someone putting two gloves, and, uh, to, and but that person might not be empowered enough to challenge Mm-hmm. So it, maybe it's a role also to just say, this is not fair. How come you're doing that? Because there's universal co- precaution like everyone else. Why are you not just taking, why are you discriminating this person? But also when we see policies that are not in line with supporting people living with HIV, like the criminalization, join those movements. Mm. You don't have to be uh, uh, going the placard in the street, maybe signing a petition 
maybe sharing um, a, a statement that has been posted by the legal network and other people, or if within your organizations, if you see that um, there are no accommodation for people with episodic diseases, then maybe it's just not just HIV that you are fighting for. You are fighting for all the other diseases that might fall under that category. But mm. by so doing, you are just also treating HIV as other diseases, although it's not the same, but at least you see that everyone else is, is going to ride to those accommodations. But also being able to, if, if, if something, for example, towards the world AIDS day that we are going now mm -hmm. to, it doesn't have to be AIDS safe organizations only who talk about HIV. It can be no church. If you're a pastor, you can preach about love mm -hmm. and loving everyone, whether they're lesbian or whether they're gay, whether they're men who have sex with men, whether they're youth living with HIV. Just talk about the topics. Then if you, you as a pastor start talking about it, your congregation will listen. So if you're a leader in your community, then you use your leadership skills, your following to address stigma. Also, I think within our families, just knowing that this person who's got HIV is still our loved one. Nothing has changed. It's just a virus that they have in their system, but they're still the same person. Love them the way they are. So if you're a partner, also loving your partner, knowing that you don't have to use their HIV status against them. You can't mm -hmm. use it as a, as a time bomb every time and threaten them and abuse them because of their HIV status. And also as parents, it's our also duty to, to teach our children as they grow up about what is HIV, what's the difference between HIV and AIDS, and what can they do? How can they stand up for their colleagues? How can they also get tested? What's HIV is, does, does not have a class to say only this one should be tested. As I mentioned before, if you have sex, and if you already do other, if you take, you share injection drug equipment with others, there's so many ways, find ways how is HIV transmitted. And just know your status. Don't leave it to be the responsibility of people living with HIV only to protect you, protect yourself too. Wow, you've given us this whole suitcase filled with things we can do, Marvelous. I'm so grateful. So listeners, I think what I heard from Marvelous was, we can work on ourselves first. We can get to know our own HIV status. We can learn about HIV. If we have friends and family, we can start talking to them. And, and also in our own relationships, making sure that we don't judge people for anything, whether it's getting tested for testing HIV positive. And if we see something that's stigmatizing, whether it's in a healthcare setting or employment setting, we need to stand up and challenge it. But then on a structural level, we need to think about what policies support episodic disability in our workplaces. And we need to challenge unjust laws <laughs> that impact people with HIV, such as criminalization. Marvelous, you've given us a lot to do. Okay, so I don't think anybody can listen to this podcast and not know what to do about it. <laughs> Just okay. ask yourself every time when you see the words A-I-D-S. Just translated to, am I doing something? Oh, I love that. Yes. AIDS, am I doing something? Yes. yes. I think that's going to be the title of this podcast, just saying. That's a great title for this podcast episode. Yes. <laughs> Before I let you go into this evening, I have 
wild card questions. Oh, where the <laughs> listeners can get to know the real marvelous. Okay, wild card one. What are you binging on Netflix right now? On Netflix, what have I been looking at? I, I haven't been really watching Netflix was of school. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're um, so diligent. Look at you, so hard working, <laughs> so diligent. Because I'm trying to, to finish both school and uh, work at the same time. So when I get the opportunity to watch it, uh, my son wants to be a lawyer. Oh. So I've been now following... Um, Made she, all, all those uh, made she wrote and uh, all those other laws like suits uh, oh. movies so that I can also at least I can have an idea what does law mean. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't want to be challenged when you get into university <laughs> and he's asking me things. I want to act like a, a very intelligent parent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very intelligent regardless about law, but um, yeah, I used to. I used to love CSI Miami. I don't know. I used to, like, it's so funny. Okay, my next wildcard question is, mm-hmm. if you're doing karaoke, what is your karaoke song? Um, hmm. I like um, You Raise Me Up. Oh, that's good. Who sings that song again? The, I think the originals, it has been sang by a couple of people, but... Um, I, I don't know who really started with the original singer for the song. Um, but I just like the words because when I'm feeling down, I always feel like the Lord raises me up. Mm. Every time when I'm feeling like I can't make it, I always find that I get strength. I, I, I'm not a really, I go to church, yes, I grew up, it was sang by Josh Groban. Mm. So I, when I'm feeling low, I always say, he's there, you raise me up, no matter what. When I'm sick, or when I, was if he's really raised me up in difficult times when I thought, oh my God, this time I'm, I'm not going to do it. But I managed to pull up. Wow. If, if you can find a, a version of that song on YouTube and send it to me, I can post mm-hmm. it for the listeners to listen to. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. wonderful. And if, it, if we had time, I would even sing a paragraph, a verse for you, but we don't have time. Oh, we so have time. You. If you want to <laughs> sing right now, I am not going to stop you, but there's also no pressure. <laughs> so I can, I can, I, it says, uh, when I am down and all my soul so weary, when troubles come and my heart bed and be then I am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy seas. I am strong when I am on your shoulders. You raise me up to more than I can be. Oh my gosh, I had no idea you could sing like that, Marvelous. That was so beautiful. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that's the one i like i really like the song i really like wow you're such a lovely voice mm. I, I can't believe i've probably known you i actually don't know how many years at least at least since 2006 i've never heard you sing wow no i used to actually i grew up singing in a choir so now uh, with no singing and uh, just not going much to church, I haven't been able to sing as much as uh, I used to. Wow. <laughs> and then also that's one of my things that I do. I am never silent. Hmm. So I sing in the bathroom. I sing when I'm happy. <laughs> I sing when I'm sad. So I find comfort in singing. That's amazing. Um, my last question, my last wild card is what is a piece of wisdom or advice you want to share with the listeners? Something that that's helped you sometimes, you know, if, if there's a quote, a saying, something like that. So for me, I think I always say HIV does not define you. It does not define the person you are. You are still the same Mavidas that you were. So it shouldn't determine where your future is going. Of course, I know there might be challenges along the way. You might not have access to treatment. You might have other complications. So it determines how you are physical, like how you can function. But that doesn't stop you from doing other things. It doesn't stop you from going to school. It doesn't stop you from going to work. If it stops you because maybe of the, some of the challenges, you can find other ways to, to realize your dreams. Find something else. You're still the same fabulous person. You're still the same marvelous person that you were. Actually, with me, HIV made me stronger. It made me want to defy those uh, thoughts that people have that they think that with HIV, you are nothing. I wanted, I didn't want to be on tables because just tokenism to be brought there to say, oh, a PHA is there. No, it made me go to back to school to actually learn uh, so many things that when I'm there, I'm also contributing meaningfully. So if education is not one part of you, there's something else that you're passionate about. So find that passion and follow it. And you realize that you stop thinking about HIV. There's times when I forget that I'm F HIV. I only remember it sometimes when I'm taking my medication, but um, or when I'm having pains and needles and somewhere there with my body. But sometimes living with HIV is not that you are 100% well. There's times when you feel depressed. There are times when you, your body is not really just working the way you want to. But I always find myself going back, and it's because I've, I'm passionate about those things that I want to go back. So if I didn't have that passion in uh, in other things, then I'll concentrate only on my HIV and self-pity and you, mental health, of course, kicks in. But no, I'm still fabulous. I'm still sexy. You are still? HIV. <laughs> you are definitely fabulous and sexy and passionate. I love that. Yeah. I love that you like your, your wisdom is both that you are more than a diagnosis and that. No, no, no. Can... I'm more than a diagnosis for yeah. sure. I'm even and, better than the diagnosis. And then you're made, yeah, and, the, and to follow your passion. You are so awesome. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. I feel just really grateful that our listeners were able to hear you sing as well as I got to hear you sing <laughs> and to share all of your, your really amazing work, your passion and your lessons. Thank you so much, Marvelous. Thank you, Carmen, for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. Join us next week for more inspiring and motivating conversations with stigma leaders from around the world. Villains.